What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Flames and Devils Blue. A pair of value plays get home on the ice, but our Oregon Ducks get burnt in L.A. by some hot shooting Trojans. Ted Ballantyne joins the show for Tuesdays with Ted as we flush out what to do with the March Madness bubble as Duke and Oklahoma State get big wins to draw some attention. How the NCAA's needs will come into play for two teams at 100-1. to Then it's Let's Do That Hockey with a lot going on for Tuesday night on the ice. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. We'll start where we pretty much are always starting these days, college basketball. A little don't look back in anger here. Got to feel a little bit angry is not the right word, but, you know, we sort of flew too close to the sun with Oregon plus four at USC. You know, a really good spot for USC in that game. Um, Obviously, talking so much about Oregon sort of felt like a play that just kind of had to be made. But USC goes and, you know, loses uh, on Saturday against Arizona. And so you know that they're going to put up their best effort. Did I necessarily think that they were going to shoot 65% from both, you know, the three-point line and, uh, you know, the field for the first half, which, you know, at that point, the game was over, um, essentially doubling Oregon in the first half. No, you know, we talk a lot of times about context with regards to stats. And, you know, maybe at the end of the game, the three-point shooting doesn't seem like an outlier. I think uh, Michigan was a pretty good example of that against Ohio State on Sunday, where Michigan gets out and they're shooting, you know, 10 of 13 from the three-point line in the first half. Saw it with Duke, by the way, last night, where they make 10 threes in the first half. And yeah, the shooting might go cold in the second half, but if you've got a 20-point lead at halftime you're in pretty good shape to withstand some poor shooting and you can kind of stop shooting threes. You can drive to the basket a little bit more, take advantage of aggressive closeouts from the other team. And in the case of Ohio State on Sunday, I thought they did pretty well given the fact that they were down, uh, what, like one point essentially at halftime of that game despite giving up 10 threes. So, you know, in this case, Oregon didn't have enough to hang with USC in that spot. And by the way, Oregon, right? We obviously had the win against Colorado, um, sleepy spot against Utah on Saturday. Now they go on the road against, again, a top 25 team with a couple of legitimate uh, first round picks for the NBA. So, you know, it would have been nice to sort of bump the resume up there with a road victory against a top 25 team for for Oregon uh, against USC. Just didn't happen that way. Uh, in the other games, and we'll talk about those a little bit here coming up with uh, our boy Ted Ballantyne, who's going to join us for Tuesdays with Ted, and talk about Duke and Oklahoma State, both with impressive victories in their own right, in the case of Duke blowing out Syracuse, which, you know, I made the number five and a half. The number was five and a half. Saw it go to five, then back to six. So, you know, a little bit of a dissenting or at least a disagreement in the marketplace before that game started. Talked about how we just sit back and laugh as Duke was going to end up probably winning that game. And we're going to watch them march their way into the tournament again. A little bit more of that just a little bit later on in the show. And then Oklahoma State with the what, uh, double overtime or was it just one overtime? So it's all pushed together in my brain at this point. But they end up getting the victory over Texas Tech, one that we saw coming the number... Um, you know, sort of never really got in a zone where I wanted to buy it. 
um, plus three was just sort of not quite uh, enough for me there, which we talked about yesterday. Um, so we'll get to let's do that hockey here in a second. We do have some college hoops tonight that we need to discuss. And I think... I think I've got eight games here that I'm looking at and which, you know, six is normally our Tuesday, Wednesday type menu here. Um, But I think Louisville has a bounce back opportunity here tonight uh, after getting absolutely just destroyed by North Carolina. And part of that was, you know, this is 2020 2021 basketball season here where Louisville asks North Carolina to push the game back because they weren't going to have their full team available to them. North Carolina on the bubble doesn't have any sympathy at this point for anyone. They decide to play the game and sure enough, right? Like Louisville gets absolutely trucked. Now Louisville's back at home against a Notre Dame team that I think is still being somehow a little bit overvalued here. Um, Maybe in part to the game against, you know, their win against Duke from a couple of weeks ago. Who knows? This one opened at three and a half, so I missed the best of the number there. It's now four and a half. Um, I think I'm still going to play it at four and a half here. I obviously want to know what the situation is from a lineup standpoint with regards to Louisville. Uh, Next one up here is Georgia at home. Again, open five and a half, down to five. I think five is still a decent play here. I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia pulled an upset here against LSU. Sort of a buy uh, a little bit of a buy low on, on, on Georgia, but more a sell high on LSU after they absolutely dump trucked Auburn on Saturday. Virginia Tech here opens minus one and a half. It's now minus three against Georgia Tech. I didn't understand the number at the time. Got a little greedy, was hoping maybe there'd be Georgia Tech money to drop it down to minus one. Obviously kind of a key number when it comes to college basketball. Didn't end up happening here, but I think probably onto something with liking Virginia Tech in this one, even at minus three. This one's a little bit tough to stomach because it involves TCU, a team that just lost to Kansas State, which, by the way, there was a game three or four weeks ago, maybe you remember it, maybe you don't, where we had Kansas State plus three at home against TCU. Where was that uh, performance from Saturday? Um, This line opens eight and a half, goes down to seven here. I think seven probably still worth a play here with the home underdog TCU Horned Frogs. Again, a little bit dicey. Next one that I'm looking at, and this one's an all-time sort of hold-your-nose type deal, but the number is outrageous at this point. Baylor coming off of a massive COVID break here, 24-point favorites it opened up, now 23-and-a-half to Iowa State. I got to feel like Iowa State's going to be able to hang in here with Baylor. Again, we've seen at, you know, at length here teams coming off of COVID breaks struggling, especially in the first half. Maybe there's a first half play here at plus double digits. And then as we've seen in the second half, listen, Baylor like turns it on here. So again, probably looking to a first half bet uh, when it comes to this one, uh, if at all. Uh, Nebraska uh, has, I believe, already beaten Penn State, if I'm not mistaken. This number open six has actually been pushed up to six and a half for Penn State on the road. Nebraska is a tough bet to make. They just they just are at this point in time. But I would lean to them as the underdog plus six and a half here. Um, game that I'm not going to bet on St. John's Villanova. Interesting because St. John's has already beaten Villanova and Villanova is an 11 point favorite here. I made the number 10 and a half. So listen, you know, is this a full on revenge situation where Villanova just absolutely crushes St. John's? I don't know. I'm staying away by and large. Uh, Connecticut and Georgetown's an interesting game. Again, not one that I'm betting on here. Um, Georgetown plus four and a half is, is something of a lean. You know, I, at what point does James Booknight? You know, at what point is he fully 
you know, capable and ready to go from a uh, being in shape, being in game shape, if you will, because he was tugging on those shorts against Villanova on Saturday. And, you know, is Georgetown necessarily the same opponent? Obviously not. Uh, but a road game, you know, they're giving four and a half points. Uh, Going to be a stay away there, but I want to keep my eye on sort of how book night looks in the second half of that one. Kansas and Texas, probably the most interesting game of the day. This one just reeks of taking Texas. But last we saw Texas, they were blowing a massive lead to uh, West Virginia. Um, you know, good news for us because we were on West Virginia. But the last we saw them, they were fighting each other. And maybe that's going to create a little value here on Texas because anybody betting this, I assume, knows that Texas was fighting each other. Was it just sort of a brothers being brothers type of thing? And they're going to tighten things up after that, right? Obviously, you're going to have meetings. You're going to have practice. You're going to flush that out, hopefully, if you're Shaka smart. So Texas minus two and a half looks like it could be an interesting play in this one. Uh, Missouri, a team that like I've been disappointed in time and time again here i just think this is a decent spot for them at home against mississippi obviously mississippi lost at home against mississippi state certainly shouldn't have been a like a low spot for them sure we were on mississippi state plus what seven seven and a half and they go and they win the game easily outright and now mississippi's going to all of a sudden just get it back together take it on the road and beat missouri where things are getting you know down to the nitty-gritty here for missouri i like missouri minus the three and a half in that game uh steering clear of kansas state as much as there may be a tiny bit of value there at plus 10 against oklahoma saw oklahoma get out to a massive lead against iowa state and unfortunately for us iowa state was able to get back in the game and then hang on for the cover so again, I don't know that I want anything. I certainly don't want anything to do with Oklahoma minus 10. Uh, and Kansas State having just won a game doesn't feel like it's like a must-win type feel for them. So we're staying away from that. And Washington and Arizona State in the nightcap here. Um, two teams that I just don't want anything to do with with regards to asking Arizona State to win uh, you know, a game by 10 points here with a minus 9.5. Or asking Washington to hang in with what can be a pretty good Arizona State team. Um, on the road so a hard pass on that one so that's my story as far as the basketball is concerned for tuesday night uh we're going to bring in ted ballantyne here because we want to continue our conversation from last week where it's sort of um talking about the ncaa season here as we get into the tournament and uh and what there may be uh what sort of interesting stories here down the stretch from a bubble perspective might create some long shot opportunity with a team that you might be surprised to hear me say has some pretty good value here down the stretch all right let's bring him in it's our boy ted ballantyne little tuesdays with ted part two from our college basketball not really a refresher last week more like a fresher since we didn't really have anything to refresh necessarily uh teddy boy how are you today i'm good dude how are you doing uh, I'm all right. Uh, we're under the gun because you never know when you're going to get that big work call that uh, that you got last. Oh, week. my last God. Week- you know what? Sometimes it's just uh, listen. All the people I work with are fantastic. But there's you know, you know what it's like. And I, I do this in life to people all the time where there's just an unnecessary amount of panic about something that requires none. Anyway. Yes. So I, I, I was a big teaser of me last week. Now I'm back for hopefully my full allotment of whatever time you give me. 
<laughs> That's true. And it is funny because you and I are probably the least two panicked people, like maybe on uh, the face of the earth, um, almost to our detriment at times. But last week we <laughs> talked about, uh, we talked obviously the top seeds, right? We did sort of a, like I said, a fresher on Gonzaga and Baylor and sort of what the, um, you know, what the likelihood of them winning was and how, you know, people are going to perceive them relative to some of the, you know, the usual suspects. Uh, and we talked a little bit about those blue bloods last week in Duke and North Carolina and, and Kansas a little bit and Kentucky. Um, and since then, it's actually been a really good week for all of those teams. Now, in a couple of cases, they have dug themselves into far too big of a hole here. But we're going to look at the bubble here today because, strangely enough, all or many of these uh, blue blood type teams are on the bubble. And I've got this, uh, it's not even really a theory, it's just sort of common sense here. You and I talked about uh, what, WrestleMania, or was it Royal Rumble? I, I don't even know. Oh, we, even we talked about the Rumble, weeks. that's right. Yeah, it was the right. Rumble. Yes, and we were talking about different conspiracies and like who could win because of you know financial reasons and all of that sort of thing. Well, I'm here to tell you that I think that Duke is going to make the NCAA tournament at this point in time because for many reasons, but specifically the committee can do whatever they want, right? This is not unlike Vince McMahon trying to pick who's going to win the Royal Rumble. They can do whatever they want and then they defend it and doesn't really matter, right? Like the tournament's going to happen. And every year we always complain about this team or that team getting in or not getting in. And well, it's true. What, and also, when, when it comes, I know what you're saying. And now they, they were probably waiting all year just for a plausible excuse to do it. And I think they got one now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we've got, you know, so Duke last night absolutely dump truck Syracuse. So now you've already got the built in, well, like, you know, Duke has to get in over Syracuse. Now we've got a long way to go here, and maybe Duke flames out through the latter half of the regular season into the ACC tournament, but they are, just from an eye test standpoint, playing better basketball, got a win over Virginia. And so now we look at, and I just sort of use Joe Lenardi as sort of the most common example um, because it's ESPN and whatever, but we look at the bubble there and look who's, you know, all of a sudden popped up here on the bubble, and it's Duke as right now a last four out. Uh, category, which I mean, is maybe the most ridiculous concept ever. Like there's no way Duke ends up as a last four out. Like they just missed the cut. Like that's a thing that's going to happen when yeah. the selection committee decides. Like, I don't think so. And you have this new schedule this year where the first four have been moved back to Thursday with the first round happening on Friday and Saturday. And after losing the tournament in its entirety and like multiple billions of dollars last year, is there any chance in hell the NCAA not only leaves Duke out of the tournament, which I think at this point is a like no chance in hell type situation, but how prime are, is Duke for a first four like Thursday night matchup? Like yeah. this is maybe the biggest lock of all time, wouldn't you say? Well, and, and you say it and you, you know, and you have to, talk about it as if you know if this happens and it shouldn't happen uh even though you know it's going to be a coin flip between 15 20 teams but like it shouldn't even have to be a conspiracy like we all know what goes on and i just wish they could be a little more transparent 
where, you know, you have your, your first ins, last outs, all these, and just be like, okay, look, we got this board, and on this board includes Duke, Louisville, Indiana. Let's all count on them being in because, you know, we're only playing because we want to make money. So why are we beating around the bush about all these teams? If it comes down to a coin flip between Richmond and Louisville, I think we'd all be like, yeah, let's put Louisville in there because (laughs) of just obvious reasons. Like they're only doing this for one reason. And I don't think that's going to get shut down. Like you're saying at this point where they're just going to leave these teams out. Yeah. And you bring up Richmond and that's perfect because, you know, you can fill in the blank with any A10 team, Atlantic 10 team you want here, right? Because you've got St. Louis, you've got St. Bonaventure lingering, you've got Richmond lingering all in this uh, VCU also in that sort of area where it's like none of these teams are going to make it in ahead of Duke, Indiana. I'm looking at it now. The first four out. UConn is involved in the first four out. Uh, Maryland is involved in the last four buys. And I'm sitting there going like, if you're the NCAA committee and you have this now more than ever showcase type situation on that Thursday night before the tournament, like we're dying to get the tournament back. Normally these first four games, like not a really a big deal, but now it's like, okay, we're just, we need this tournament so badly how is it not going to be Maryland versus Duke and UConn versus Indiana in that first four? Like, it, like it's the same. I'm sorry, St. Bonaventure, Richmond, VCU, St. Louis. You're not, I mean, maybe they end up playing well enough because obviously they're going to have this tournament, the A-10 tournament. And, you know, one or two of those teams is probably going to play themselves into the main field. But if they're relying on just barely getting in here, it's just not going to happen. This first four is going to be like a made-for-TV event because of everything that's happened this season with these teams playing badly enough to qualify. It's like uh, this would have been a final four like 20 years ago. In fact, it may have actually been with UConn and Duke. And, you know, they've obviously met a couple of times in the final four. But, like, this is just too too obvious. And so from a betting standpoint, I don't know how – you can kind of avoid not betting on Duke at some point here. And when I say that, I don't mean them to like think that they're going to make the final four because I don't think they are. I still don't think they're particularly good. They are playing better. Obviously they played to a victory with Virginia, which is sort of a team that people think could, you know, obviously in theory make the final four, but Duke's right now a hundred to one. And we think that they're, definitely making this tournament again it might they might need an extra game here to you know get to the final four or sort of whatever you're looking to get out of your 100 to 1 but 100 to 1 for a duke team that's playing pretty well that i think is probably or i should say definitely getting into this tournament suddenly becomes a little bit interesting as sort of terrifying as that is to say oh for sure and it's like at 100 to 1 like say they make it to the final four um, that's going to be because they had a good draw. And say they don't make it, that's also going to be in part because they had a bad draw. And the chances of either of those are worth that 101 because it's a team that's still, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're the best player we talked about last week left. Um, and now we did not to get into debate as to whether or not they're better without him. Um, but they, but they look better just the past few games regardless. And we've seen teams way worse than this make the final four every year for the past sure. what five years so 20 yeah, years yeah i, I think like, if in that number 100 is only going to get worse like it, it's the, the value is not going to be the same as the days continue 
Yeah, and that's why I, I say, like, okay, like, literally this morning, Joe Lunardi updates his projections to put Duke in the conversation. And so once they become in the conversation, they're in the tournament, right? Like, this isn't like, a, oh, let's see if they make it. And, like, the NCAA has never had more motivation than to put them in this season. And so the other thing is, when we look at these teams and we, you know, we write off Duke because it's funny that they were, you know, three and five or whatever they were to start the season. And you can sort of pair that up with Kentucky. And Kentucky's a different story because, like, they have a way, way worse record. They're going to have to physically win the conference tournament in order to get into uh, the NCAA tournament. But when you look at these teams, like, especially this season, but like it was 10 games, right? It was like 10 or 12 games of being like, oh, Duke's awful this year, you know, maybe 13 or 14 games. Like they've only played what, like not even 20 games, I don't think so far this season. And it's like, yeah, a lot of these teams with new guys, like right off the top of your head, like you name three Duke Blue Devils, like, you know, maybe you, maybe I can, but like not many people can. (laughs) And it's like, why would we think that this is some like finished product? And so, you know, Calipari used to get all kinds of credit for building his team towards the end of the season. And they'd be like the most terrifying eight seed there ever was. Cause it would just be like five, six, 10 guys, three of which are headed to the NBA. And you're like, wow, I can't believe they lost to Mississippi state two months ago. And then all of a sudden, like they're an eight seed, like favored against the number one seed in the next round. And so you're going to get this play in game where, you know, Duke is going to be up against, you know, let's say UConn, for example. They're going to be a five point favorite. And then they're going as an 11 seed, you know, up against a six seed in the next. And it's going to be like Loyola, Chicago. Yeah. And they're going to be a six point favorite in that game. Like, you know, that's how this is going to shape out. So, you know, we can sort of try to swim upstream here because everybody hates Duke. And Lord knows I do as well in that sort of fun college basketball. Type well, and I want to touch on that part a little bit, because, of course, the argument you're making like mostly applies to Duke, but it kind of holds a little bit of water for, um, you know, uh, say Stanford or Indiana, whatever. Um, but, but Duke specifically is, I think of the prospect of putting any kind of future on Duke to maybe make a final four, whatever. And I'm loath to do it because I don't want to sit there and watch these games and root for this team. I think this is kind and that's just, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. They're fine. They're great. That's just, it, it, I, I, I hang out with a lot of basketball coaches in real life and they'll love Duke and God, get out of here. But this is the year where it's kind of different. I think we can all kind of get on board with this weird potential um, Cinderella that's not at all a Cinderella Duke type team. Um, And the same goes with all these other big programs that may have these weird rankings if they even make it into the tournament. I think this is the year to to kind of get behind these things. And, you know, it's not the regular Duke. So you can get get, get behind this Duke team, especially without those Cameron crazies driving us all nuts. I say, let's do it. (laughs) Well, and that's the other thing too, right? Like you say, it's not this, the normal Duke, but like the norm, you know, it depends sort of where we're talking about normal Duke. Are we talking about normal Duke from like the early 2000s? Are we talking about the Duke that had like Zion and RJ Barrett? Well, it's, where... they have, it's been a while since they've been, it's, it, you know, the, the, the insufferable, I hate you Duke kind of died with Grace and Allen, at least for the moment. Yeah. But I, like I was going to say that like their national title team from what 2015 you know, their best players were like John Shire, right? Like it wasn't Kyrie Irving leading them to a national champ. It wasn't Zion leading them to a national championship. It was these sort of guys who, 
you know, aren't going to be pros. And I think there's a couple of guys who eventually might be in the NBA on that team. Like the recruiting is still pretty good. And yeah, they, they, you know, the, the guy, the top dog, if you will, the, their best recruit didn't fit what they were doing. And like you said, like, we're not here to sort of debate what happened with regards to that, but like they do, they are sort of shaping into the Duke teams that actually win the tournament, not the Duke teams that we think are going to win the tournament and then end up flaming out. Right. Like well, yeah, I think you're because, yeah, they've, in that way. I think I think, you know, it must have been begrudgingly, but Coach K has kind of gone the Calipari route the past few sure. years where his program and to get the good players, you probably have to recruit as an NBA player factory. So they've gone that route probably more than he was probably ever comfortable doing it. But then all of a sudden, your guy on this particular roster who symbolizes that part of your recruiting and program as much as anything bails out for just those reasons. And now all of a sudden he's kind of stuck with this. Okay, well now we just get to um, play our system and kind of suit Mm -hmm. it to to just the the talents of the players we have. So I think you're right. And and, and, uh, listen, it's not about whether or not they're better with this guy or without that guy, but I think it looks already as if just the way the pieces fit together might be a little more organic now than it had been before. Yeah. And they have guys who can shoot. Right. And that's where it's different between them and a Kentucky because you watch Kentucky play and it's like one guy might have the ability to get hot from time to time, but Duke has a bunch of different guys who can shoot. And that's what coach, uh, yeah, coach K wants um, out of his team, right? He's a very much like one in four out type of guy. Who's like, let's fire up the threes and, and, and all of that sort of thing. And so, yeah, like I just think that we judge this team off of 12 to 15 games and put this stamp on them and sort of lump them in with Michigan State, who just is a bad basketball team. And we lump them in with Kentucky, who just is missing the whole like three-point shooting element, which is kind of important here in 2021 basketball, whether it's professional or college. And we just decided that after 12 weeks, because we all kind of loathe Coach K and he's such a weasel, that like we're all like <laughs> excited to see them fail. And then it just feels like that they're going to go on this potential run here at the in the tournament. And even if, you know, you forgot about 100 to 1, like we only need them to get to the regional final, essentially, before we can do a decent job of turning a profit um, on that bet. And so... Like, you know, you, I, I, I guess my point is here is that I see people talking about like their futures, like, oh, I'm going to grab St. Louis or I'm grabbing VCU at 100 to 1 or like Loyola Chicago 100 to 1. And it's like those teams are so behind the eight ball in everything that they do. Like, that just seems like a waste of opportunity. And maybe those teams are quote unquote better than Duke, just using obviously Duke as this primary example, but like they're not going to get. You're not going to get any favors. They could make the regional final and they're still going to be underdogs, uh, you know, from a betting standpoint, even if they are the better team. So you're not even going to have a hedge opportunity. Like we could get Duke into a regional final here against somebody like Colorado and they're going to be five point favorites to Colorado, right? Yeah. Like you're going to get the best value in your hedging when you're using a top level brand like Duke at a price that like, mediocre teams are normally sure. like i think i think i know what you're saying like it's it's very easy in this situation to overthink it and you know you look at st louis and st, st. louis is cute you know what i mean it's a clever nice yeah. little play usually that's you know we'd look at that and we think you might be onto something um and it's a cute little team 
but it's rare that these cute little teams at this point in the season are up against so many just big, sexy teams. And as much as you want to get cute and clever, you know what? A big, sexy team is probably the simpler and easier choice, less fun, but probably the right choice. Right. And you're just, you're going to get, again, if all things are equal, you're going to get value on, you're going to get value on the, on the sort of sleeper team, the St. Louis's of the world, because, you know, let's say they play Duke and it's going to be like Duke minus seven or something like that. Right. And it's like, well, the number probably should be like minus three, but because it's Duke, they're going to be minus seven. If we already have a hundred to one future in our pocket, that overinflation on Duke from a game-to-game standpoint is actually really good news for us because then we can just bet on St. Louis at plus seven and try to middle that or bet on them on the money line to sort of hedge out of our position or you know, start that hedging process. And of course, I use St. Louis as if they are going to be the team to make it to the regional final in this circumstance. That's probably not a fair um, comparison, but there's plenty of, like you said, middle of the road, big 10 team that could win a few games and make a regional final uh, or something, you know, along those lines, whether it's Pac-12, big, big 12, et cetera, et cetera. Do you um, find with people like me, uh, obviously more, more recreational betters, like you are fully capable of just having it roll off your tongue naturally that I will place a wager for Duke to make it to the final four and I will have absolutely no problems every game up until that point betting against them on an individual game basis. Do you find it tough trying to talk that logic into people who kind of think of their, you know, they're putting all their chips into the middle regardless. So say I was to, um, you know, place something down for Duke to make to the final four, then I feel a draw, a pull to somehow morally and financially support them with my bets on the way to that but it's two totally different things right yeah well yeah and that and i think that's that's a really good way to illustrate my point overall because yes it's you're betting this now because this is this is the value point of the program right seeing duke reopened this morning at 100 to 1 was really kind of a surprise to me because it would been it had never been lower than 100 to 1 i don't know that it had ever even been 100 to 1 like it was often you know, I often saw it at like 60 to 1, 70 to 1, and I would laugh because I'd be like, oh, like, that's so ridiculous. Like, they're not even going to make the tournament, and they're on the same sort of odds level as a bunch of these teams that are, um, you know, almost definitely going to make the tournament. So I'd sort of chuckle at that. But it's weird because it's sort of two ships here passing in the night where the odds have gotten to the point where it now... At 100 to 1, it makes you think that, like, they have no chance to make the tournament. But we've just seen them with two big wins here in the last three days, and I think four or five straight overall. And now, again, that they're in this conversation for the bubble. And, again, you can make the case that they still don't deserve to even be on the bubble. But, like, we know better than that, right? We know that if they are in the conversation, if Syracuse can get their way into the tournament every year, despite nobody giving them a chance even on the morning of Selection Sunday, and then by the end of Selection Sunday, somehow they're a 12 seed in the tournament, of course Duke is going to get pushed in, especially with this first four primetime element and you know having to make up the money from last year. And it's just St. Bonaventure's not going to do it. Duke is going to do it here. And so whether you get deeper into the weeds with like, like officiating going their way up until, you know, Selection Sunday, where it's like we make sure they make the semifinals of the ACC tournament or something along those lines, like that's obviously a bigger discussion. But, the, you know, the way you frame it is like, okay, like when we get to the term, we start betting games. Duke is always going to be inflated, especially if they, of course, make the tournament. 
they're going to be two, three points more than they should be, right? We saw that even, you know, a couple of years ago with the Zion RJ Barrett teams where it was like they're favored by like 10 against UCF and like they need a miracle to win that game. They're favored by seven and a half against a Virginia Tech team that was better than they are. Like that's always going to be the case. So I don't want to bet them in the tournament because it's still going to be an inflation situation. But right this second from a future standpoint, it's not. I think there's actual value right now at a hundred to one because of how certain I am that they make this tournament. And then you don't have to bet Duke games at all, or you can just go along with fading Duke, uh, you know, uh, on the point spread in each and every game, if you want to. And I think you'd end up doing pretty well in that circumstance, right? Because first of all, if they stop playing, that means you won the bet because, you know, they've lost the game. And so you're plus five and a half, you know, with whomever they're playing, Obviously, that's a winner. So, okay, good. We're all kind of set there. It's almost like pre-hedging all of the point spread bets that you're going to want to make against Duke in the tournament. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, no, that's right. I like it. And it's when you look at this, and obviously people may be listening and are like, oh my God, this is such a, this is a conversation looking so much further down the road than them even making the tournament. But all these futures, you got to put your faith in something, whether it's luck or someone not, not getting injured. This is a situation where you get to put your faith in common sense. So, you know what? Common <laughs> right. sense doesn't always prevail, but this is just the weird, situ- weird situation where you, you can kind of try to count on it a little bit. Absolutely. And one last thing before we get you out of here. Similar story, right? Common sense. Speaking of ratings and needing to get teams into the tournament. Oklahoma State last night gets a big home win against Texas Tech. They have maybe the projected number one pick uh, in the draft, but they have a minor issue. And that's that they were declared ineligible for postseason play this year. And they go and they appeal it. And for whatever reason... Again, Vince McMahon in charge here. This appeal doesn't seem like it's going to come until after March, which means that they're going to be able to play in the tournament as long as the appeal hasn't been heard. Now, if you were dying to keep Oklahoma State out of the NCAA tournament this year, you would have heard that appeal by now if you were the NCAA. But if you want Cade Cunningham in the NCAA tournament, you're going to drag your feet on this appeal. You're going to watch him go to the NBA, and then you're going to deny Oklahoma State's appeal in, like, June, and they're going to not have be able to play in the tournament next year. But by that point, it doesn't really matter because Cade Cunningham will have already played in the NCAA tournament this year, and the NCAA will have cashed that out as well. And so Oklahoma State has been under this raid under the radar as a team, because we all just kind of, you know, we heard it before the season that they weren't going to be allowed to play. And it was like, oh, that's a shame. Cade Cunningham can't even, you know, make the tournament and he decides to play anyway. And that's all great news. And guess what? They're also a hundred to one at this point. And they're in even a more secure position, according to Joe Lenardi at an eight, nine type of a seed here. Um, so again, you know, same sort of deal here. Corruption potentially going our way here if we wanted to back another 100-1 to one team here that is not even on the bubble at this point. They're pretty solidly in and especially did so last night. So what do you think of that from a uh, conspiracy well, standpoint? Before, before I can formulate my own opinion on this, I do need to know, and, and apologies for not knowing beforehand, what, what was the violation that had them barred from postseason play originally? Is it NCAA nonsense or something kind of morally disgusting? Uh, I think just duffel bags of cash 
I, I think right. that it's it just one of those sort of recruiting violation type Listen, things. Yeah. Nothing, if someone cut, no strippers, if somebody, yeah. no Rick Patino type stuff. All right. So, and that's even, you know, borderline okay. If, you know, from a viewing standpoint, these are children, sure. and it's obviously awful. Um, you know what? If it's just a bag man who got caught with a bunch of cash, fully support it. I think, honestly, the even the people that are these, these people that just make these stupid rules in the NCAA, and, you know, we all know what's going on, but we got to act like it's not going on, which is also, you know, very pro-wrestling-ish. I'm sure that whenever they handed down this punishment to Oklahoma State, they immediately started thinking of how we can figure out the way around it. And you're totally right. If conspiracy is the word you want to use, I'm sure someone on the inside let them know, like, hey, guys, if you appeal this, it's going to take us a while to get to the paperwork. We've got so much to do. So, yeah, I imagine both parties are in cahoots, if you will, to make sure this team probably gets into the tournament because why not? I would do the same thing. Who wouldn't? Anyone who would want to keep this team out of the tournament right now for nonsense, if this is what it is, is just awful. Yeah, and it's like, well, they, it's not like the NCAA has other stuff to do, right? Like, if it was well, yeah, that exactly. important to them to keep Oklahoma State out of the tournament, they would have done so by Especially it, right? these days, where any meeting or any hearing, whatever they'd want to call it, you know what? It's just going to be everybody in their own living room so it's not like they're having problems getting logistics together for them all to get together in some boardroom somewhere. Like they could, yeah. they could fire this thing up in 15 minutes if they wanted to. So yeah, let's all get together. Let's all act like we've got other stuff to do, but come on, it, keeping this team out of the tournament, I get it. And you don't really want to you know, you don't want to fudge the rules for one team just because they're great. Um, and that would be an administrative point of view from a viewer point of view. Yeah, you do. But that's the thing, right? The administrative point of view is the viewer point of view at this point, because, the, you know, if there was ever anything that indicated how important the NCAA tournament is to the NCAA and its coffers of money here, right? It was indi- indicated last year. So they don't have this position where they can just be like really hard ass about stuff. And, and I'm sure that's why they sort of made that decision. And then somebody probably made a call and was like, you know, like having Cade Cunningham in the tournament is going to be a benefit to us here. Let's drag this appeal as long as we possibly can here. I, you know, Mike, sure. Mike Boynton last night fired up with that win. So, you know, there's nobody closer to sort of understanding what's going on there, obviously, than the head coach at Oklahoma State. And it looked to him, it looked or it looked to me like he thought that win last night was really, really important for his season. And I don't think it was just seeding in the Big 12 tournament or their overall, you know, regular season standing for a team that wasn't going to play in the postseason. So again, you're getting arguably the best player in the country with a lot of other really good players on that team, by the way, um, at 100 to 1. Another situation where you put a little money on that, and if it's an 8-9 game, you've obviously got some sweat equity into the 8-9 game, and then you've got your long shot to beat a number one. And if they end up in the corner of the bracket that is a non-Baylor, non-Gonzaga corner of the bracket, you have a shot. You have a shot to have that team sort of advance and replace the number one seed there. And who knows? Maybe they even move up to a seven or a six by the time the tournament starts. So, uh, and just as important, I will add, uh, putting a, a little touch on Oklahoma State, a team you can watch and enjoy. Unlike Duke, where you know, depending on who you are, you might have to hold your nose a little bit as you hope they make it to the Final Four. Yes, a, a, a far more feel-good corruption story, if you will. That's right. Speaking of feel-good corruption stories, it's Ted Ballantyne on Tuesdays with Ted. Thanks very much, pal. My pleasure. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. 
Thank you, Laszlo. We got to wrap it up here with some let's do that hockey. Last night, two and zero in the previews that I gave out on the Action Network app. So that was nice. Calgary getting it done over Toronto. What a wild scene that uh, lead up to that game was, right? Toronto announces, you know, three guys questionable out for the you know, relatively key guys too in Muzzin, Hyman, and Thornton. And so the line flies down from plus 150 down to plus 130 for Calgary. And then Calgary says, well, you know what? Jacob Markstrom not going to play. And everybody's like, oh, get back on the Toronto bandwagon here, or at least get off of the Calgary bandwagon. And then Toronto's like, well, I see that. And I raise you uh, Anderson being out for this one and Hutchinson in that. And so you're sitting there going like, I can't keep track. Like, and I wrote this preview on Sunday night for this game and like half of it's completely meaningless, but fundamentally, you know, what was the handicap? Well, the handicap is Toronto's overrated. Okay, fair enough. And handicap was Calgary is overrated based on, you know, advanced analytics and metrics and all that kind of thing. And if Markstrom and Anderson are playing, Markstrom, better, the better goaltender. So everything's good. We're gonna take the underdog in this game. And then Riddick and uh, Hutchinson ends up, end up playing. And the case is still the same. Like, Calgary still has the better goaltender. Like, he's not very particularly great, but neither, you know, is Toronto's at that point. And then obviously add in the fact that Toronto is without three of their guys. That's not going to help their cause whatsoever. And so everyone piles into the over because of the two goaltenders uh, being out. And of course, what happens because... This is sports, and this just always happens, right? One of the goaltenders pulls off a shutout. And so David Riddick, who, you know, I saw a lot of people, you know, patting themselves on the back for a victory betting on the Oilers on, I believe it was Friday night, because Riddick wasn't playing, or was playing, excuse me. And it was like, oh, Riddick's in, like, bet on the Oilers, blah, blah, blah. And the Oilers end up going and winning, and they win two to one. So my question to those people would be like, if you knew that Riddick was going to give up just two goals... Is that still your handicap that you have to bet on the Oilers here because Riddick isn't very good? Or did you just kind of get away with one? Because it's not like the Oilers goaltending is particularly good either. And so if you had, you know, if I'd said to you, okay, fine, but like Calgary's going to only give up two goals here, do you still want to bet on Edmonton? The answer is probably no, right? And so we can sit around and, and be, you know, jovial and pat ourselves up on the back about winning hockey bets here. And, you know, we talk all the time about losing hockey bets that, you know, our handicap still was pretty good as far as like expected goals for and high danger chances and all of that kind of thing. And then you're sitting back and going like, when you win those games that you don't necessarily get particularly, um, you know, when you get particularly lucky, I should say, you know, you have to sort of call that out as well. And so that's kind of worth mentioning when it comes to Tampa Bay and Carolina, a very weird game, Tampa Bay, like as expected, you know, comes out on fire after losing the game to Carolina on Saturday, and they're just blitzing Carolina. Shots are 11 to 1, and then Tampa takes a penalty. And then Carolina gets a power play goal, and you're looking at the screen, and it says shots 11 to 2, goals 0 to 1 in favor of Carolina. And they're like, oh, God, hockey is just the absolute worst. Well, Tampa ends up winning the game, and Carolina, by the way, like just because they had a poor start doesn't mean they're not allowed to come back and play really well in the second and third periods, and they did that. So from a metric standpoint, it was essentially a coin flip. Carolina actually had a little bit better of it from an even strength standpoint in the game, and so 
that has to be acknowledged too. Like we want to bet it was minus 125. It was a good price for that Tampa Bay team, especially relative to where the price was over minus 150 on Saturday. Like fundamentally, you want to buy these teams at the best price you can possibly get. And if that means waiting a day, then that's one thing. If that means jumping on the underdog in the first of a game, maybe they lose that first game and then having to come back on them in the second game, you know, that means something too. And so I think you could do pretty well in the NHL if you just sort of, you know, bet a big underdog. You know, we always sort of talk about plus 150 as being the cutoff price. Bet them in the first game of the back-to-back. If they lose, you know, come back on them on the second game. If they don't, then just steer clear of that second game. Maybe in the case of Tampa Bay, for example, you get some decent value on the favorite the second time around. And I think that was the case there. So, you know, if you're betting on a price, it kind of doesn't matter as much about like how well each team kind of plays, especially in a game like that, where it's very, you know, two of the better teams playing at sort of a 50-50 type level. Um, and just Tampa uh, ended up getting more goals, obviously. That's how you win a hockey game. Um, but, you know, just not necessarily from a luck standpoint, but just from a, um, you know, somebody's got to win the game. And in that case, like, I'm fine with paying minus 125 for a Tampa team that was sort of going to, like, hell or high water win that game. Um, as for tonight, a couple of... <laughs> relatively uncomfortable bets if we're being completely honest but from a numbers standpoint i think we have to look if we're looking in the north division um you know i i wrote a preview about this in the action network and uh the idea being these two teams haven't played each other since the first two games of the year and they combined for just an absolute truckload of even strength high danger scoring chances and the scoring is down over the course of the season because the referees have stopped calling all the inane penalties that they were calling at the start of the season. So from a scoring standpoint, by and large, it's gone down. But when we're looking at high danger chances five on five, like that doesn't have anything to do with scoring with regards to power plays, power play goals. Obviously, if there's a lot of high danger chances, usually means that there's going to be more power plays as well because teams are creating offensively at a pretty high rate against each other, right? They're just trading chances. So I don't know that just because the scoring has been lowered over the course of this, I don't think that necessarily applies to these two teams who, whether they're playing each other or playing, frankly, anybody else, uh, are getting high danger scoring chances five on five and they are giving them up, right? Like more than any other teams in the league, they are getting and and giving up double digit level scoring chances so i think that ends up being the case tonight so i talked about the over six and a half being a play there isn't you know a goaltender here that we expect to sort of steal the show um even in a two nothing game with demco and the jets uh laurent brisson was in net but that was a two nothing game where both teams were in the double digits um of high danger chances combining for 25 and so a bit of an outlier from that day in that like it was such a low scoring game because the chances were there if the chances are there most often or not the game is going to be high scoring and the game's going to go over when we're talking about six and a half right we're just looking for this game to be tied three three you know and going into overtime you can also get into a four two type game where the you know there's a goalie pull etc cetera, etc cetera. and in a game where you know it's pretty close to a pick'em game. My ratings certainly have, with this game being in Vancouver, this game as a pick'em. There's a very good chance that it's close. So whether it's 3-3 or, you know, 3-2 with an empty net, maybe a couple of empty net goals, who knows. But moreover, I think both these teams are talented enough to have an outlier performance in their high danger conversion. So if they get 25 high danger chances, you know, the average would sort of say that they're going to get three goals combined. Well, I think these teams are good enough to have four goals out of, uh, you know, 25. 
And when I say good enough, I mean good enough relative to the defense on the other side, right? So, you know, Edmonton obviously talented enough at the best of times, but certainly talented enough to beat Vancouver's defense. Same thing with Vancouver, certainly talented enough to beat Edmonton's defense. And when I say defense, I mean literally their defense and the goaltending as well, right? There's no superhero walking through the door here from a goaltending standpoint. Um, so I talked about the over in that, but I also talked about how, you know, from a value standpoint, like this game is at or around, you know, 51% basically for Edmonton to 48.5% um, for Vancouver, which at the time when it was plus 110, you know, it's not necessarily a ton of value. There's some plus 125 available right now for Vancouver, and that reaches the 4% or a 4% threshold of value, where at plus 125, I think you do have to play Vancouver at home here against Edmonton. Again, a team that has won a bunch of games here, but hasn't really improved their rating five on five. They've been relatively fortunate when it comes to just winning this many games, right? The way that they've played in the last 11 games suggests more of about a six and five type of a record, right? It's sort of like a microcosm version of like the Leaf season that we talked about, where, you know, should they be winning this many games? No. Should they have more wins than, you know, the, than the average team? Yeah, but just not this many. That's the kind of situation we're looking at here with Edmonton here, who's on a really good run. So I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I think that stops tonight. But from a value standpoint, once you hit plus 125 for Vancouver, that's a very legitimate bet from a numbers standpoint. I want to talk to the other game in the North. And this is sort of a throw out the numbers type situation with Ottawa and Montreal. Ottawa available at about plus 200, maybe even going a little bit higher here as we have news of not only is Marcus Hogberg not in net, which I shouldn't even say not only because thankfully he's not in the net, um, but Matt Murray is also not in the net, which means who's going to play goal for Ottawa? And the answer is something called Joey Accord. I don't know who that is. Um, not that I, you, you would have expected me to know who that is, um, is he good? Uh, if he was good, he probably would have already had a shot by now, given how bad Ottawa's goaltending has been, right? So this isn't a situation where they've got two really good guys that they like and that they're, you know, we're, we're definitely going to go with until the end of time. This is an organization that should be, I would presume, dying for any sort of goaltending assistance here and have opted not to play Joey Accord. And now he, they have to, and that doesn't feel like a really good option there. So you know, how do we change this? How do we make this, uh, you know, alteration in our numbers? Because the numbers have a good 7% worth of value here at Ottawa, if you can get them at, you know, even a plus 195 here, just short of 200. But again, that doesn't factor in the fact that like this goaltender is probably, you know, no less or no more NHL ready than the guys that have already been dragging down Ottawa in Murray for at least the first half of this, you know, the season to this point um, versus Hogberg, who basically on a regular basis absolutely stinks. So again, some uncomfortable stuff there when it comes to the metrics and sort of trying to analyze it in the North Division. As for the Central Division tonight, um, one that I've written on the preview, you're not going to be surprised by this, back to the well with Detroit. Best number that we can possibly get. Hopefully we can get up to that plus 150 threshold. It's a Nashville team on the road that like, I don't know why we would necessarily think that like that's a good bet. Like they're trying to trade or at least taking offers on some of their best players. They have won uh, two games in a row just twice this season. And now it's going to be a road win against Columbus and then on the road again to Detroit. Like obviously Detroit, not particularly good, but this is a team that stays in games. Um, 
from a metric standpoint, right, just don't give up a ton of high danger chances five on five. Their special teams is atrocious, which is not something you want to deal with when we're talking about like Tampa Bay or, you know, to a lesser extent, Chicago. At least they can make up how good they are five on how much better they are at five on five than Chicago is. In this case, they're not any worse than Nashville five on five. And they're actually not that much worse, even though they're the worst special teams team in the entire league. It's not that much worse than Nashville. So they're not giving up that much in exchange um, here. And so now you're getting this plus price here. And like, frankly, plus anything is good enough. Uh, Not that that's going to be an issue because this is sitting right around plus 140. Plus 150, obviously, as we've talked about, a key number when it comes to money line math that we'd like to get into there. And then elsewhere in the central here, Columbus appears to be dipping down a little bit i like them at minus 120 i think i've found a price here at minus 120 over at bet 365 just going to do a little bit of due diligence here um part of it may be the numbers for jonas corpusalo have not been good elvis merzlikens comes back wins us a bet um getting a shutout last week gets a second straight start hurts himself again and is back out for a couple more weeks and so now you're getting Jonas Corposalo again for an extended period of time but was that enough rest um over the last I mean listen he played the second half of the game on Saturday but is that enough rest to make the Blue Jackets valuable here at a minus 120 price I think that is just a play that is going to have to be made here against a Chicago team that you know has thrived on winning games in overtime but again the metrics are just not very flattering when it comes to chicago five on five i still have them as 12 and a half percent below average it's not that much better for columbus to be honest with you at 10 percent below average which is why this number you know sadly for columbus is as low as it is right now at minus 120 but i think that's fair value um, for a favorite here so i wouldn't i wasn't surprised when this number was minus 130 for columbus and chicago plus 110 that's the number that i would have expected it to be now that it's down to minus 120 um, unless there's something significant that i have to sort of dig and find out um what the deal is with that like a key injury i mean patrick line maybe i mean i don't even really know um or maybe just fundamentally the goaltending situation for columbus but we knew that we knew that injury existed yesterday so there's no reason that the price um you know should change as much as it already has uh, other than people just liking to back chicago at this point um at these numbers so that's the situation with regards to the nhl tonight back again tomorrow more college basketball talk hopefully have a decent night there um and hockey as well as we always do Thanks again to Ted for coming on, talking a little college basketball and the bubble. Uh, As usual, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Follow along on Twitter at MRussAuthentic. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.